be seated. Just checking, is there announcements today by Peter or Brian or anyone else that needs to be said? We have one. Um, I did send out an email in regards to youth group. We're going to be throughout the rest of the summer splitting the ages to try to decrease the group size, which is so crazy, but also uh, we want to be um, respectful of all the guidelines that are in place. So we will have sixth through eighth graders and then ninth through twelfth graders meet on a bi-weekly schedule just to adhere to all of the social distancing rules that are in place. And is there anything they need to know in preparation for VBS? So hang around after worship and help things get the final nails placed. Got it. Thank you. We'll continue our service then with the song, I Will Lift My Eyes. Raging 
God. I'm going to invite uh, Charlene and Jamie, if you'd come forward, please, involved in the preschool ministry. The rest of you can be seated for just a moment. 20 years? Did they give you a watch? <laughs> well, and tell us What's going to be happening? Uh, my husband and I, we are moving to Alabama to be closer to our son and grandson. And uh, our whole house has been upgraded. And we have a house down in Alabama, but we just yet closed on that yet. And so the time is going down. And just we hope that we get it closed, but we can't get it closed yet. So it's not going to grind, so to speak. I mean, we've yep. got it closed, but it hasn't. It was about three years ago that we left 20 years of ministry uh, in California and moved back home for us. Mm -hmm. And it's always such a, a tenuous time trying to figure out, Lord, how are you going to lead through this? God has been so good to all of us because Dennis been, I've been praying about it and it's just, it's like everything has opened up and just been like any. We've lived in our home for 35 years. We were told that when you for every year that you live in your home, you, you accumulate 1,000 pounds of stuff, and I believe it now. <laughs> <laughs> and Jamie, yeah. share what's going to be happening. Um, we were part of a big rolling layoff, um, so we took this opportunity after lots of prayer to move back to Ohio, where all of my family's at. So my kids will get to be around their grandparents, cousins, everything that they have seen that we love with them. So it's going to be a big change for everybody but me. So I'm going home, everybody else <laughs> is going to a totally different place. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a, a new change for both, uh, a reunion, a, a gathering closer to families. And I just want uh, to invite you to join with me as we give thanks to God for his ministry through these servants and clear the way for his continued blessing 
in the days, months, weeks, and years ahead. So, Jamie, let me pray for you first. Lord Jesus, thank you for the, for the ministry on young lives that have, have flowed through this, your created being, one created in your love. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would allow there to be such a sense of homecoming, especially for Jamie, but uh, even for those that it hasn't been home yet, that you would use this time to join together with families. I pray, Lord, that you would keep any kind of roadblocks out of the way, that you would show provision, and you would provide by your grace and favor. We thank you for what you have planned. May they walk freely in it, we pray, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, for Colleen, as she uh, finds a new way to listen to voices, and even probably soon, be all talking a bit a little different too. I pray that you would allow those transitions to work so wonderfully that family blessings and after 35 years, Lord, a chance to clean out what is not needed and embrace especially those things that are in this situation, Lord, a, a reunion close to family and filled with your peace. Thank you for the lives that have been touched through the ministry of your servant for these 20 years. And as she moves to new places, we pray those truths that have impacted these young lives would grow and blossom, that they would flourish, and that your name would be glorified. With all of this, Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise for all that you've done, praying it in your precious name. Amen. Yeah way of saying many times in the parts of the church is go in peace as you serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to invite you to stand now as together we proclaim the truth of what we believe. We're going to be using the words of the Apostles' Creed. There we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I invite you now to be seated. And I didn't take a peek to see what the page numbers were. But if you would open in your Bible, or if you didn't bring yours, the one right there uh, next to the hymnal, to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be looking at parts of the first and second, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth chapters. We're just going to look at a little bit of it. And um, I need to get ready a little as we start here.
We're living in a time that in many ways is different, but also in many ways isn't all that different from what has been taking place in the world. As we grace and look through the pages of history, we find the struggles that we have. We're not the first ones to deal with those struggles, with those questions. We may wonder, how is this going to work out? And, you know, I've got an answer to that. I don't know. At least not in the short run. I know how it's going to work out in the long run. But right now, I don't know what's going to be happening. I do know that the one who created it all hasn't lost power. And he continues to be in control. Years ago, and I'm talking many years ago, I was alive at the time. Uh, one of the first Christian so-called rock stars was a, a musician by the name of Larry Norman. Uh, anyone remember the name Larry Norman? A couple of you do. You guys are old. <laughs> his, his first album came out, and one of the songs on his debut album went, Nothing really changes. Everything remains the same. We are what we are till the day that we die. Nothing really changes. Everything remains the same. We are what we are till the day that we die. That's sort of the chorus that he comes back to quite frequently. A little later on in the, service, uh, in the song, the chorus, he throws a little butt, and the butt is, unless you know the Lord. It's real quiet in the background. Unless you know the Lord, nothing ever changes. Everything remains the same. We are what we are till the day that we die. In many ways, that's sort of the theme that comes out of this book of Ecclesiastes. And I have grown up with the basic thought that this writer is the son of David, a very wise person, my connect the dots, and even though his name isn't mentioned, my mind frequently thinks of Solomon as the author. And some, many people do, and others sort of not sure because of some of the way things happen. But as we look at what the writer has to say, I'd like to read from Chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, verses 12 to 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all those over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of, of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's uh, sometimes a disappointing kind of word we hear from your scripture. It's not always uh, sunshine and roses and lollipops, but sometimes there is disappointment. And the way we think things should work out don't always work out as we would wish. I would pray, Lord Jesus, if we consider your word this day, that we would hear your voice, trust your promises, and know that you have not lost control. I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Well, it is many times as you go through the book of Ecclesiastes, a real disappointing, sort of a, a downer as we read through these words of scripture from one who calls himself the preacher. In verse 13, it says, it is an unhappy business that God has given the children of men to be busy with. In verse 18, in much wisdom, there is much vexation. Increased knowledge leads to increased sorrow. Or in verse 14, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. Now, you may notice I have something that looks sort of like a, a cauldron bubbling away up here. And the reason I've done that is because the word that is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes is being demonstrated right here to my side. The word translated in today's, uh, the English Standard Version is vanity. And I don't want you to think of looking in a mirror and thinking, oh, how handsome and beautiful I am. That's not what he's talking about when he says vanity. When it talks about it, it uses the Hebrew word Hubble. And that's sort of what it means. You can see it, you can grab it, but then it's not there. Hubble. It's the sense of, of emptiness, meaningless, futile, without substance like smoke or like fog. It, it looks solid, it is there, but when you try to grab onto it, it just sort of slips through your fingers and you have no control over it at all. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that's what human life is like. We can, we can focus on all sorts of stuff we can try to line all our ducks in a row, but they don't stay in a row. And as hard as we try, we can't make it just work out. Even if we're strong believers and trusters in God, it doesn't always work out the way we want things to work out. Cuddle. Vanity. Something that is sort of empty. It's there, and you can't get a hold on it. Uh, Solomon, or, or whoever it is that wrote it, starts to go through a whole list of things that, in his wisdom, 
in his wealth, in his might, and in his power, he was going to make his life fulfilling. He was going to make his life a, a substance that was worthy of looking on and excited to live. And as you go through Ecclesiastes, you see what he's been doing. He talks about pursuing earthly wisdom. Now, early on, if it's Solomon, we know that God has promised to give him wisdom. Well, here it talks about another style of wisdom. And that's not godly wisdom, but that's the way of the world kind of wisdom. And as he gives himself to that fully, he finds out that it is hovel. It's empty. It's nothing there. It's something that doesn't really endure. You think you can grab it, and then it's gone. So he goes another way. He says, I'm, I'm, that doesn't do it. I'm going to try for self-indulgence. And, and he lists out in, in verses um, uh, 1 through 11 in the second chapter a whole pile of things that talks about this, this self-indulgence and earthly pleasure that he pursues. There's laughter and frivolity. If I can just keep myself laughing, it's going to be wonderful. A merry heart's good medicine. I'm going to medicate myself with laughter and good humor. And when that doesn't work, I'm going to go after alcohol. I'm going to forget the stuff that troubles me. Or maybe I'm going to put myself into building large houses and grandiose uh, estates with, with pools and forests that, that he's planted. And, and not only that, I'm going to get into breeding the best of animals, and, and not just animals, I'm going to buy and sell slaves so I can breed my slaves to take care of my animals. I'm going to do all these things. In fact, I'm going to gather together as much silver and gold and, and entertainment, and I'm even going to have a fabulous harem. For a guy who's supposed to be the wisest guy of his time, if it is Solomon, 300 wives is not a wise thing to do. I have a hard time being a decent husband to one. And then a harem of another 700 who are his boy toy playthings. That somehow this is going to give him fulfillment. And you know what he finds out? It's just hovel. It's an emptiness that doesn't satisfy anyone's heart. In verse 10 of uh, chapter 1, excuse me, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and, and that was my reward for, for all my toil. And yet it was all it was all vanity. It was all an emptiness that I couldn't grab onto. And striving after the wind, there was nothing to be gained. 
sadness that comes from him. When we lived in California, uh, Salinas wasn't the, the wealthiest of areas. Uh, wealthy when it comes to produce. Half of the head lettuce and leaf lettuce that is grown for our country comes from the Salinas Valley. It was really great for that, but it was a pretty poor financially area. Unless you went about 15 or 18 miles over to Monterey and then to Pebble Beach and Carmel. And occasionally Gail and I would get away from the slums where we lived and move, just enjoy a day over in the beautiful Monterey Bay area. It was wonderful. And, and one day I saw this dressed out Mercedes Benz. And, and it had a bumper sticker. You don't usually see bumper stickers on Mercedes, but this one had a bumper sticker. And on the bumper sticker, it said, the one who dies with the most toys wins. He was pretty happy with his toy. That's not the message of Ecclesiastes. The message that we get in Ecclesiastes is this. The one who dies with the most toys is still dead. All the stuff that we do to try to fill our lives, apart from following after the heart and the plan and the desire of God, all those things that the world said is phenomenal to have, they're not going to last, especially into eternity. The writer says, I tried living wisely. But you know what I discovered? He says, the wise man's end is the same as the fool's end. We die. And within years or decades, nobody remembers our name. It was sort of a downer for the preacher. He said, I worked real hard. I wanted to, to gain much wealth. I wanted to be highly respected. But all that money I've earned, all the possessions I have, when it comes to the end of my life and it gets passed on to someone else, who knows whether they're wise or a fool? Who knows what's going to happen? And he was real disappointed because even though my dry ice has cooled down my water so much that I don't have the bubbling fog anymore, that pillow, that, that sense of emptiness, that vanity is still there. You think you're important? You may be to your spouse, maybe to your kids, or maybe you're not. For a half dozen years, I, I was associate pastor at my home congregation down in Burien. And the senior pastor was a man who was so important in my life, so much so that when I was ordained, I got permission from the, the bishop, uh, ALC, to allow Pastor Anderson to be the ordinator, the one who laid hands and ordained me into pastoral ministry. And I actually, years later, got to spend six years working together with Pastor Anderson. And he was talking about a man 
that he did a funeral for. He became very wealthy, had a lot of stuff. But when it came time for his funeral, there were five people there. Pastor Anderson, the fellow who ran the mortuary, the wife, a son, and a daughter. And the wife and the son and the daughter said, we want to stay here and watch you lower the casket into the ground. Now, not many people do that, but they were willing to do that. So they stepped back and they poked the buttons and slowly the casket descended its journey into the ground. And then the wife said, I want to wait and I want you to put the cap, the cover on the vault. So they got the heavy machineries and they got it adjusted and slowly lowered the cover over the casket. And then she said, we want to watch you put the dirt in the grave. They could see where this is going and so they kept there and, and pretty soon all the dirt was there and now the sod was laid on top and after it was all done and Pastor Anderson was standing off to the side watching, wife, son, and daughter joined together in hand and they danced on his grave. They were so glad that that man was dead and buried and they were never going to have to deal with him again. Not the kind of funeral celebration that we would want. This man had it all at the end of his life. The only joy that came was when his wife and children could dance on his grave. Health, emptiness, vanity. When we read through Ecclesiastes, we find out that there's a couple things that we know of. And that is, there's this thing that God has created and it's called time. And there's nothing that we can do to stop time, moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, time keeps going on, and it has an effect on us. I used to say I'm not half the man I used to be. Actually, I'm about two-thirds more than the man I used to be. Time has had an effect. My big chest has sort of lowered a little bit. And now it's a bigger belly and a bigger waistline. Time has that kind of an effect on us. And as that time ticks on, it inevitably ticks on to the point for something that each of us is waiting for, not particularly looking forward to, but that's waiting for us. And unless Jesus comes back really soon, each one of us is going to taste it. It's called death. Each of us, until the Lord Jesus comes and changes everything, each of us is going to die. God has created time. He's placed us in time, but he is not confined to time. But in the midst of that time when we are living, one of the things that we can know for certain 
is that we are not in control. We try to be smart, we try to fill our lives, and it doesn't always work out the way we want to. There's even strong believers who, who, who find a section of Scripture where, where God describes what the normal course of events is and will proclaim, this is my promise from God and I'm grabbing onto it and unless he fulfills it like I imagine, then he would have failed me. Example, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he won't depart in it. Is that a wonderful promise? It is a great thing, but how many know people who have done their best? They have prayed for their child. They have brought them to the Lord in baptism. They have had him fed in, in Sunday school who have done all sorts of things to, to share the truth and the grace and favor of God into their lives, and then somewhere down the line, they've chosen to walk differently. And I know too many strong, believing parents who lay that responsibility on God, who say it's his fault because I did all my stuff. I can remember a point in my life where one of my children made a bad mistake. Not fatal, but it was a bad mistake. And in conversation with this child later on, I said, what could I have done differently so that you wouldn't have done that? Now, I'll be honest, as I look back at that conversation, I wasn't really trying to find out what I did wrong. What I was trying to do was back away from my responsibility for this child's mistake. Somehow trying to wash my hands of the whole thing. I was the perfect parent. I did everything right and you just messed up. Well, you know what? I wasn't the perfect parent. By God's grace and favor, all three of my children love the Lord Jesus. And by his outstanding mercy, all of the next generation, all of those eight grandkids are walking with the Lord. They pray to him. Now, I don't know what, what the years are ahead for any of them, for any of us. But I do know, do know that God continues to be faithful. And even when I try to get everything right, I still, in my weakness, don't get everything right. And even when it seems like everything right has been done, sometimes just the bad things happen. You know, bad things do happen to good people. And as frustrating as it is, there's even good things that happen to people who act badly. And we don't know why God allows that to happen. But we go back then to understanding God's eternal, God's in control, and definitely I am not, and you are not. So what do we learn? As best we can try, 
It's good to live the way God says. But know that in the end, the answer is going to be by his grace that we see anything. The last chapter is sort of a, a wrapping up, chapter 12, and, and just uh, looking at three different verses. Verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before evil days come. Take time to set a good, firm foundation. My, my choice after high school was to go straight to, to spend two years at Bible school, unaccredited at that point. But what I wanted to do was get a good, solid foundation to my life. I had come to know the Lord Jesus' grace and favor, trusting him for salvation for a handful of years at that point. And those two years at Bible school were powerful. Remember your creator in those days of the youth before those evil days come. There were a lot of evil days that had come after that. But I haven't forgotten the creator it was the wise man who built his house upon a rock. Build your house on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, chapter 12. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. They are given by the one shepherd. That when God's word comes, it doesn't always come and pat you on the back. Sometimes that pat is about 18 to 24 inches lower. And it's not with a hand, it's with a foot. Sometimes he has to boot us in the backside and make us uncomfortable. As I would teach confirmation and I would talk to our, our young kids about what was the work of the prophet. There was a couple things. Not only promise the Messiah, but there was a, a, a two-thought phrase that I would share with them. The work of a prophet, one who was speaking the voice of God, was to give comfort to the afflicted and to give affliction to the comfortable. God's word is like a goad. It pokes us and prods us uncomfortably in the way that we should walk. And then we get to verse 13. The end of the matter, as all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Have your trust. And when it says fear, it's not so much talking about shaking in your boots, but it is talking about putting your trust in him. We are the ones who are fearfully and wonderfully made. We don't have all the answers. And when we look back on life, and realize that some of our life has been gold and some of it has been mud. We realize that that's not what brings us to heaven anyway. What brings us to heaven is the one who's chosen to go to the cross 
to pay the penalty for our mistakes, to forgive us for our transgressions, for those many times that we've missed that perfect mark, to trust that God knows what's going on. Next week, we're going to look at one chapter in Ecclesiastes. It's the third chapter. Uh, I'd invite you to, to read up on that this coming week. You might even want to go back into your ancient stacks of vinyls and see if you can find the, the, the bird's record. You know what I mean? To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. And a time for every purpose under heaven. Let those words of Ecclesiastes 3 be preparing your heart as we look next week at, at how God is with us right where we are. I would pray, Lord Jesus, that even in the midst of those times when we have failed so miserably, when, when we thought we've done it right and yet somehow still messed up, when we see that so many things that we've chased after are too often pebble, are too often empty and meaningless. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to give us confidence, not, not in our, ourselves, but in you who have come to save failures like us. Give us, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit's presence, power to believe your promises now and always. I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we, we conclude with a time of prayer. There is a pile of things that need prayer. Now, for those of you who have been praying for our son, David, I want to thank you so very much. He was doing really good, and then on Thursday sort of took a, a southern turn, and he's back in the hospital for we don't know how many days yet uh, with an infection that uh, has been drained and is working on. But, but we've got stuff going on on the West Coast. Uh, Seattle is in flames, and anger rules, it seems. People that need protection. People that may be close and dear to us that, like my son David, need God's healing hand of grace laid upon them. And one of the things that I'm going to invite you to do is don't leave just the verbal prayer to the pastor up front. But if there's things that, that God lays on your heart, be bold and speak those prayers that we might also join with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that even in those things that uh, seem so empty when we look back, you don't discount us for those mistakes, those wrong chasings. But instead, Lord, you forgive us and you love us and you call us to peace, even with our mistakes, to peace in your perfect presence. Lord, help us to yield those failures to you and thank you for your forgiveness.
We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to touch many young lives in these uh, next days through Vacation Bible School. We pray, Lord Jesus, for your spirits uh, guarding and protecting of those little lives as well as the, the ones that are ministering to them. With the rampant uh, disease that surrounds, we pray protection upon these young lives. We pray protection, Lord Jesus, for those who minister to them. We pray, Lord Jesus, that if they're infected with anything, it is an excited faith in you, Lord. Bless this time together. Bless those teachers. Guide and keep them, Lord Jesus, we pray. But also lift up, Lord Jesus, the, the call process here at Elam, that you would give wisdom and uh, timing that matches your design to those who are on the call committee, that you would be leading their hearts and, and the, for the person that you would have designed to, to come and shepherd this congregation for the, for the time, this next season in this minister's life that you would begin even now to prepare that heart and the heart of that family, that they would be open to your voice and as you would be leading this congregation, that you would give them the grace on both sides, on all sides, Lord, to say yes to you and yes to one another. These many things, Lord Jesus, we pray, trusting in you and thanking you for your favor. Even now, help us, Lord, as we pray the prayer you have taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'd invite you now to open your hands, to open your hearts, and receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Worship team, come, lead us in some praise.
Again, I invite you, if you're able, to stay for a while and help get things all wrapped up for the preparation for Vacation Bible School. God's richest blessings stay in his glorious peace. Amen. Amen.